We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Pack a Day podcast. Happy Saturday! It is another weekend. It is Memorial Weekend. Hope everybody is gearing up for a long, long one and a nice and relaxing one. I am Jason Perone, along with Mark Eckel and Paul Brettle. Mark, as always, how's the beach? Beautiful, beautiful today. <laughs> uh, let's get this done so I can get out there. <laughs> That's right, exactly. Let's get in, get out. Paul Brettle in Wisconsin. How are we looking? Uh, doing great, Jason. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Good. So we had some good stuff. Actually, we've been fortunate the last couple of times we've gone because there have been some some guys speaking and we've had some stuff to talk about. So we're going to talk about what the Packers coordinators said on Friday. But before we do that, just real quick, want to cover some news that hit at the end of this, of this past week. Uh, defensive lineman Montrevious Adams was... Uh, stopped by the police. He faces three misdemeanor charges. It was a traffic stop. Um, he had possession of marijuana, and he had some issues with his vehicle. So, Adams, the reason we even mention this is obviously Adams is one of those kind of bubble guys this year. He's going into the last year of his contract, and he hasn't really done a whole lot through his first few years with the team. Uh, he was a higher draft pick, so he's one of those more intriguing names. So I guess, Mark, we'll start with you. It's not the first time we've seen a player get in trouble, but when you're on the roster bubble, this obviously is not great. Yeah, I, I'd cut him tomorrow. 
first of all, he stinks. He's been, a, I mean, all we heard last, about a year ago this time last year was, you know, oh, he's the most improved guy. Oh, I love what I see of him. Oh, he's going to be great. Oh, he, he did nothing. He did absolutely nothing. He was probably worse last year than, than he was the year, year before. I mean, he was just another bad, late Ted Thompson pick. He, you know, he was. they took him in the third round. Nobody I talked to had him had him in a, had him that high highly re- regarded. Um, he's been terrible. Now he's going to do something stupid like get. I mean, real. I mean, listen, I don't even care about the weed. I mean, he, he had less than he probably had a joint. Um, but how do you not like register your car? I mean, we all do that. We we don't. You know what I'm saying? Like that's just stupid. So not only is he a bad player, he's dumb. Yeah, that's the part that got me. Is that the part? I mean, even you and I, everybody, you don't have to be among the the financially elite to take care of the the business of your vehicle, right? So, and if you're going to have weed in your car, make sure you have everything else is right, right? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's another. It, he was a third round pick. You know, it's interesting. Ted had a few head scratching third rounds, didn't he? Because if you think about 2014. He drafted Kyrie Thornton and Richard Rodgers in the third round. He had Montrevious. And then this past year, Brian Gutekunst from the Ted Thompson tree with Josiah DeGuara. Right? So with some very interesting third-round picks. But, yeah, Montrevious specifically, he's, he's on the bubble. Now, Paul, I'll ask you this. Defensive linemen seem to be – the Packers always seem to add one or two, and maybe this is an area where somebody comes out of nowhere in camp and an undrafted free agent also – uh, you know, makes a name for himself. But if if they do decide to move on from Montrevious Adams, how are they looking right now? Obviously, we know they have Kenny Clark, Tyler Lancaster, but how do you feel about the interior of the defensive line? Uh, a little concerned, to be honest with you. I mean, we saw how the season ended with the NFC Championship game last year, and obviously that was their worst performance, but it was an issue all season long. And, you know, looking at how this offseason went with free agency and the draft, there weren't any major additions. Um, I think Trayvon Hester, who they signed out of free agencies, could come in and make the squad. But he's, you know, he's it'll be his fourth team in four years. He's another rotational player. He's not going to uh, be a game changer. So they're relying heavily on uh, the Lancasters, Kingsley Kiki, Dean Lowry, you know, Montrevious Adams. But honestly, I think he, I mean, even before this, I'm not terribly confident that he's going to uh, even make the 53-man roster come week one. So uh, they're banking on a lot of internal development, and uh, we'll get to this shortly in the interview or when we go over the interviews. But Petten mentioned that you know Kingsley Kiki is very high on. <laughs> he also said that about Adams last year. So take that as you will. Um, but I think it's a concern. You know, everyone this off season talked about receivers, linebackers, tackles, and all for good reason. But I think this is one of the bigger holes that had to be filled, and they're going to go in with relative or pretty much the same personnel that they did a year ago. There's one guy you didn't mention who I, I'm going to throw out there, and that's that um, Willis, Gerald, I think it's Gerald yep. Willis, picked up uh, on waivers from the Dolphins. He had a real – I mean, he's had some off-the-field problems mm-hmm. uh, in college especially. He sat out a whole year of college. Um, he was pretty good his senior year at, at the U. I mean, yeah, he no- and he nope. should have been a higher draft pick. I mean, he, he went low because he had the off-the-field off stuff. If he can keep himself out of trouble and, and his head on, I think he – I mean, again, he's not a pass – you know, what the Packers need, like you said, is a run stopper, right? That's what he is. And, and Hester is, too. Hester's a pretty good run stopper. Neither one of them is going to get you more than a sack a year, but um, Kiki's might be that guy. 
And they also use, you know, they they, they put Zadarius with his hand down a lot on third downs. I think you might see Gary doing a little bit of that this year as well. They need guys to stop the run. I think Hester and if Willis, like I said, there's a big if with Willis, but if he's a, he's got potential, he's there, there's talent there. That's so. a good point on uh, Willis. Uh, after they picked him up off waivers, I was reading up on him, and um, like you said, he had some off-the-field issues, and then his I believe it was his final season at Miami. He missed a good chunk of it, or at least the end of it with an injury. But I saw some draft scouts well, had a third or fourth-round grade on him. Yeah, and he um, was supposed to be. I mean, he had 18 tackles for loss mm-hmm. as a senior in Miami. That's, that's a lot. And they weren't sacks. They were 18, you know, he stopped minus yards on – Run plays eighteen times, right? That's that's a good number. Yeah, again, I don't know. He might, like I said, he if his head's not on, he could be gone too. I mean, he he's on his third team. The Ravens signed him, they cut him. The Dolphins put him on their practice squad for half the year. Then they promoted him, and he he played a little bit for the Dolphins, but now they got rid of him. So mm-hmm. maybe maybe he needs to be up north in cold weather and get away from Miami and stuff. I don't know. Well, on the D-line, too, the other thing is, is what are they being asked to do? I think a lot of different schemes kind of matter for different guys, different body types. I think we're on to something with Rashawn Gary. He's you know, he's not a 12th overall pick for, for nothing, and I'm not, not to overstate that he was the 12th overall pick, but, I mean, you're going to move him around and get what you can out of him. If you can, you want him on the field with both Preston and Zadarius Smith, and hopefully he can make a big jump. Paul, you, make, you kind of segue perfectly into our next portion here, which is we want to talk about what the coordinator said yesterday, and one of the common themes that I did hear was development, and they're hoping for players to make a year two jump, and we've talked about it on previous shows as well. So I know you've got some good notes kind of worked up on the coordinator, so I'll turn it over to you, and we'll kind of, I don't know where you want to start with it, if you want to go in order, or or, uh, which coordinator you thought was most intriguing. Yeah, I'll start with uh, Mike Patton, and I I took away the most information from him. I just thought there were a lot of good questions and kind of questions that, you know, we had been wondering and got, well, you know, a little insight to this is coach speak and all that, but there was some good insights. So I'll start here. Um, You know, it was a big question after the NFC Championship game was, is Mike Patton going to be the defensive coordinator here in Green Bay? And he mentioned that he was never worried about that. And I know that there was, um, uh, you know, Lafleur made some comments that sparked up. Um, conversation about whether he was going to be back. So I'll start with you, Mark. Do you think that bringing Patton back for this season was the right move? Yes, I do. I, I like Patton more. I, I like him more than most. Where he's from this, you know, he's from. I'm a little prejudiced maybe because he's from Bucks County, where I lived most of my life before I moved out here. Um, I mean, you know, it's easy to blame him for what happened in the in the championship game, but I mean. <sighs> And I, I think he, yeah, I think he was out coached. There, there's no doubt about it. But I'm not going to put everything on one game. I mean, I think I, I thought the defense, for the most part, last year was the best unit of the three. I mean, they, the, they other than the two San Francisco games, and that's something they have to work on. But they played pretty well most of the year. I mean, um, you had the Smith brothers playing at, at a at a high level. Both of them had their best years. I mean. There's just, that's I think you, you, when when a player has his best year in a system, you got to give the system some some credit, right? Um, you know he 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 saw some guys stepped up a little bit last year. Um, Amos I thought had a pretty good year. Um, 
I, I'm not going to blame. I mean, yes, he had a terrible game plan and a terrible game at and the biggest game of the year. But I thought like the week before he did a great job against Seattle, right? I mean, that's a pretty good team that 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 that, that they basically shut shut down. Um, those wins at the end of the year uh, against the Vikings and Bears that won the you know I thought the defense played pretty well. So yeah, I'm, I wasn't. I'm I'm not a a knee jerk reaction guy that after one bay, you know, you get rid of a guy because of one game, one, you know, even though it wasn't, you know, like I said, it was a bad, everybody, everybody's to blame for, for that game. No, it wasn't, the system was bad. The players, the, the players got to take some responsibility as well, you know, I mean, so no, I'm, I didn't want Patton fired at all. Now, again, if things don't get better this year, and you know, then, then we got to start talking. But no, I, I thought overall the defense did a good job last year. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the players, I mean that MC Championship game. No one played well, um, all, and then sometimes there's some blame for that too. They they were they they didn't sustain many drives either to mm-hmm. keep the defense off the field and stuff. And Home then sometimes there's, happened, there's, you know. sometimes there's just matchups where you know your weaknesses are the opponent's strength, and that seems to be the case with the 49ers. Uh, so Jason. 2020 for Mike Pettin, is this a make-or-break year for him in your eyes? Well, I think every year is you evaluate it kind of on its own merit. I'm not convinced that when you have your, your unit performs the way that it does that you're not – we've seen guys get fired for performances like that in the past, maybe on other teams, not the Packers. But and he, and and his, so him, well, and he, yeah, well, that was a, a gross <laughs> – did he get let go after 03? Yeah. So, went, I mean they- – Sherman blamed it all on him. You could argue, you could honestly argue that it was, you know, it was one play that maybe sunk that guy. That was a long time ago under a different administration. But yeah, I mean, I think keeping Petten was good this year, though, because like, like, uh, like you guys mentioned, that the, the defense was one of the strongest units on the team. So the leader of them, the, the continuity there, I think, is valuable. And you've got now veteran players that are going into their second year in the system. Uh, with the continuing, the offense continuing to evolve, and and they, you know, the draft seems to telegraph that they're going to do some, implement some different things, and make some bigger changes on offense. I think you want some stability there on defense. I think the players would be okay if they had switch coordinators, but having Petten around, I, you know, I, I like what I hear from him, and he seems to be that, you know, he looks like he would be an in-your-face, like you know, spitting while he's talking type guy, but he just seems so even keel. And I think the, the guys probably respond to that. Paul, I think you hit the nail on the head. When we kind of calmed down and got you know over the frustration of what we saw on, on the, in the 49ers game, San Francisco just is head and shoulders better than the Packers. And that's you know we don't want them chasing after one team, but that's the team that they they've kind of kind of get past there. And, and hopefully they do. The matchup was just rough, and San Francisco just had it going on because they had they had the players. So it's you know it's, it's not always about the coaches. You know, there is something to be said about the guys who've got the jerseys on and are on a field. Yeah, 100%. Well said. Um, next interesting point that I thought, and I thought this might have been the best question, I believe Aaron Nagler asked it, but he asked Patton why the Packers play so much uh, dime. And so Patton said it's a combination. You know, he likes the flexibility that it provides against the passing game. It's just part of his philosophy. His coaching style always has been. Um, he likes having the best players on the field. All that makes sense. And then one another piece that he added was the lack of inside linebacker depth is what he pointed out as well. Um, so one thing I wanted to ask, and I'll start with you, Mark, is we know that the Packers don't necessarily value the linebacker position too highly. It's not one that they've spent on in free agency. They haven't really spent to retain their own. They don't draft it very high. But with Pettin mentioning the lack of depth there and then seeing how they were 
were picked apart in the run game last year. Is that a should that have been a higher, you know, priority on the to do list this offseason addressing that position? I thought so. Um, although I do like the kid that they did, they got him in the fifth round. I thought he would go a little higher than that. The kid Martin from from Minnesota. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, the the team I covered for a lot of years, the Eagles are the same way. They don't they don't give a damn about linebackers. I mean, they 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 never they haven't drafted one in the first round, and since Dick Vermeil was was head coach, when he drafted Jerry Robinson out of UCLA back in like seventy something. I mean, that's before I even covered him. Um, they don't, they don't sign, they don't, they got, they, you know, they got lucky with a couple guys like Jeremiah Trotter, who was like a third, a late third round pick. So, it's, you know, I don't agree. I, I think linebackers, it's not the most important part of your team, but it's, you can't just ignore it. I mean, I don't, I don't think you should ignore any position year after year after year, because then that's how it becomes a weakness. Um, with, with all that said, I think you. I think two things, and I think Penton kind of said this too. You play your best players. So mm-hmm. if your nickel safety or your nickel corner is better than your inside linebacker, then then that's who you play. Um, but with that, but you, you, that means you need to improve your inside linebackers a little bit so that they. And that's why they. You know, I, I think that he was asked that because I think there, a stat came out that the Packers played more dime than any other team in the league last year, if, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep, correct. And again, in, in this NFL though, the way the game's played now, and then the Niner game was kind of an aberration to that. But teams usually beat you by throwing the ball; they don't beat you by running the ball. Other than like, I, I, it came back to bite the Packers that thinking. But um, I think if if you ask any defensive coordinator if you could only stop one thing, the pass or the run, what would you choose to stop? I think they'd all say pass. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, that didn't turn out that way. Um, <laughs> no, it didn't. Year, but, but for the most part, I mean, that's what you want to do. Now, they did add, they they signed uh, Christian Kurfsky, who I think, I mean, if he can stay healthy, is an upgrade on Blake Martinez, I, in my opinion. I, I I was not a Blake Blake Martinez fan. I never was. Yes, he made a lot of tackles, but to me, he didn't make any impact. Um, they have Martin, who they drafted, Sumner's, I guess, from last year. He has to. He's one of them guys we talked about that has to step up. Um, but I still wouldn't call this. Yeah, I wouldn't. You know, the inside linebacking as a position is probably last on the team, right? Yeah. So I'll ask you this, Jason. Speaking of Christian Kirksey, um, Patton was asked about signing him, and he his own word that he used was risk. He said that this signing is a bit of a risk, um, referencing Kirksey's injury history recently. He's played only nine games the last two seasons. Um, if he can return to his 2016-17 form, then this contract that he's on is going to look like a steal. But with Kirksey's injury history, the – lack of inexperience behind him, Oren Burks, Ty Summers, Curtis Bolton, Kamal Martin. I mean, what are, what's the state of the linebacker position in your eyes, Jason? Yeah, they didn't really address it much. And it's, we still, you know, I don't want to keep giving Brian Gutekunst a pass in terms of saying he's ignoring a position or not, because it's, it's a, we've got three drafts now. So we've seen kind of the positions that he's gone after, and each year things change, and they've only got so much money. So I'm I'm just these are all benefit of the doubt things that I'm thinking here and maybe the, maybe they also see Raven Green as a part of their answer on the inside. If they're going to go with a lot of dime again, it would make sense. Maybe Raven Green or Adrian Amos even moves down and, and into that middle spot. 
and they try to throw some some speed in there. I mean, Kirksey is exactly what Mike Pettin said, and I always appreciate when a coordinator or a coach finally says something unique, and it's not just coach speak, and it's, you know, I can appreciate that. They understand that there's a risk-reward there with Kirksey. From the things that he said, which doesn't mean anything on the on the field, he's excited to be there, and he sounds like the type of guy that's going to blend in well with the culture that they have on defense. I, I, I'm with Mark. I just, I wish that they would really truly just best player available. If it's an inside linebacker, so be it. If you don't value the position, you still need a great player there. And if you've got a great inside linebacker, then that might remove some risk or some need at another position. There's, there's a trickle down. Anytime you put a great player at a position, even if you don't value it, you're going to have a good trickle down with other players and you may not necessarily need the most stud safety in a draft where safeties aren't very strong or you don't have to go get yourself a high-priced corner, for example. Now, I'm just throwing out some, some positions of, of, uh, that may possibly benefit from it. But, yeah, I, I will say the upgrade from Blake Martinez, is, as long as there's some more speed in the middle, I'm encouraged. I didn't dislike what Blake Martinez did, but he was also put in a position where I think a lot of what he said after he went to the Giants and had a chance to speak freely, he basically said I was just kind of the, you know, the 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 mop-up guy and he was there to to just keep Zadarius and Preston Smith clean. Didn't sound like that was really something that uh I don't know, he enjoyed doing a lot, but yeah, it's it's going to be a big Are you question. Supposed to miss all those tackles too, or no? <laughs> yeah. Well, or 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 take them on well after the fact. Uh, but it's it it almost sounds like by design. You know, there was there were some deficiencies there, and and either way, the Packers have addressed it. They fixed it. and You have to hope that Kirksey works out. I have a crazy idea, and I just thought about while you guys were talking. If Russ, if 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 Rashawn, if Gary makes the step that. Obviously, they expect him to, and we hope he does. As, you know, as a number twelve pick, if, if he's playing well enough that he has to be on the field because he's he's playing like the number twelve pick, would you ever think about maybe putting Preston Smith inside and going with Gary and Zadarius outside, Preston and Kurfsky inside? I mean, if you want to get your best players on the field, as Patton said, would that be? Is that is that? Thinking too crazy. You're saying Brian, you're Brian? saying move Kirksey to outside no. linebacker. No, 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 no. If Gary's playing well, yep. You have Gary and Zadarius outside. Move Preston inside with with Kirksey. So your linebackers would oh, be yeah. Z and and um, Gary outside and Preston inside. Because Preston can play. I mean, he's he's big enough, and and he ha- he did cover a little bit last year. He had an interception. Like, like yeah. they did with Clay Matthews that. You remember when they moved Clay Matthews in inside and it and it kind of it saved the season a few years back. Mm-hmm. I'm For me, out there. I mean, if if you want your best players on the field and if Gary becomes one of your best players, I don't know. Would it be the craziest thing that they've ever done? No, it makes sense to get your best players out there. For me, I would need to know. I I feel like over time and if you know having more snaps at the inside linebacker role that. Uh, Preston Smith might be exposed a little working in space that often, but I I'm like not the idea. Every down, I'm just saying on right. certain, you know, certain situations, maybe. 
Right. I like the idea of having, uh, Zedar- you know, if Gary continues to develop, having Gary or Zadarius kick inside like they did a little last year, and then you have the Smiths on each of the outside, you know, put Kenny Clark in the middle there as well. And I think that's a pretty formidable front, and that kind oh, of leads that leads me to my next point here. There were three players in particular that Patton talked highly of uh, during the meeting. One of them was Rashawn Gary. He said that he's going to play more snaps this year, which, I mean, duh. He's a 12th overall pick who played less than 25% of his snaps last year. Time to get him out there and see what he can do. But what he did mention was, and Mark, you alluded to it earlier, that he's going to play uh, more in the middle. Do you think that that's a good fit for Gary and he'll be able to give the the run game a little bit of a boost from there? Uh, Yeah, I mean, when they drafted him, he was, I mean, leading up to his draft, all right, the 2019 draft, I never looked at him as a linebacker. I had him, like, rated among the defensive linemen. And when the Packers took him, my first reaction was, oh, that's why they got rid of Mike Daniels. Okay, they knew what they were doing. They they drafted. I thought they were drafting him to play up front. I really did. I thought, okay, he's going to start up front with, with Clark and Lowry. Um, and then all of a sudden they say he's a linebacker, and I'm like, wait a minute, they just signed two big name. That whole thing didn't make sense to me. Um, so yeah, I think he can play down. I mean, that's what he did at Michigan. He had his hand on the ground the whole his whole time at Michigan, right? He didn't. He wasn't a stand up guy. He was a hand mm-hmm. on the ground, go after you know. So yeah, I, that's what I said earlier. That's why, I, and maybe they come to that conclusion too. That, that, that that's why they didn't address the defensive line as much as we thought they might because they think they have one in Gary, maybe. I yeah, don't know. No, it's no, interesting. It makes perfect sense. No, it is. Um, and then Jason, the next player they talked about uh, quite a bit was Tremont Williams, who is still an unsigned free agent. Um, oh. Just talked to, And he played really well last year as their primary slot corner. I know there's a lot of talk and hype around Shannon Sullivan taking that job over this year um, after his performance last year. But Jason... I'll ask you two questions. One, do you think they should bring Tremont Williams back? And two, will they bring Tremont Williams back? Okay, Paul, do you remember right after the season ended, and obviously, you know, I was in a certain state of mind, and you and Jake Westendorf and I had that group text about Tremont. I, I do. And I was in the minority <laughs> when I said, no, it's time to move on, and and don't bring him back, and he's only getting a year older, and I will tell you right now, I am the most 180 degrees changed from that standpoint as I was then. I absolutely think they need to bring Tremont Williams back. And for Mike Pettin to to even bother addressing, he was asked point blank about Tremont, so he's answering a question. But for him to take that on and actually make a comment about Tremont, everybody has left the door open for, for him to come back. And I think... I will be surprised if the Packers don't fortify their cornerback group. They need – I think they need him at this point right now. I like – and that's me saying that with with also saying that I'm confident if they went with King and Alexander on the outside and they 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 had Sullivan covering inside, I don't know if Sullivan can handle the outside duties. If you want to kick Jair inside, I think Jair inside would be an absolute disaster for opposing offenses, and I would love that. But I would be comfortable with those three guys going, but – yeah, they they needed they needed Tremont Williams back. I mean, he proved last year he played a lot and he played well at, at his age. He was still very effective. He had a couple of nice turnovers. And at this point right now, this is an understudy of Charles Woodson. If you can have anything connected to Charles Woodson on your defensive roster, 
it can only help. I'm a huge proponent of bringing 38 back. Yeah, I'm a, I am as well. Even if he's in a reduced role this year, if Sullivan um, you know, picks up and takes over those slot duties well, I just think from the depth depth standpoint and the veteran leadership I just I don't see there as any sort of negatives to that and especially over the years the Packers secondary always seems to get decimated with injuries last year was the was the outlier uh, but it's not something that I'm going to bank on or expect moving forward and the last player was Kingsley Kiki he meant Petten mentioned him as one of those guys that he thinks is going to make a big jump this season as I said earlier that was Montrevious Adams last year so take that as you will but Kiki, when he was drafted out of A&M, he was known more as a pass rusher, but he impressed over the summer um, with his ability as a run defender, and he had some nice snaps at the end of the season last year, even in the NFC Championship game. I know the game was out of hand at that point, but he had some good reps there as well. So I'll ask each of you, starting with Mark, outside of Kiki, who is your uh, young player? doesn't have to be a rookie, but young player that you're expecting to make a big jump this year. Offense well, or defense? Does Gary count? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. I mean, that's what I really think has to. But, um, yeah, I mean, Kiki's a guy that, um, like you said, he was known as a pass rusher. And there's nothing wrong with that. You never have enough pass rushers. But you're asking me for another young guy. Um, who else was in that Who else was in that class last year? Um, Savage, already, I mean, Savage doesn't count, right? He, he kind of made it. I, I, think he's, I think Savage only gets better and better. Mm-hmm. Sternberger, um, Kadar Holman. Oh yeah, no, Sternberger's the guy. He's yep. the one that makes the jump because you know I think I loved him. Um, hey, I think you know what? I think both sides of the balls. It's Texas A and M. This is an A and M year for the Packers. There we go. How about you, Jason? Well, so there's there's a guy that I think will, and there's a guy that I really hope does, and they're not the same player. I <laughs> I know that Darnell Savage seems to be a given. They the safety situation has has kind of middled since the days of Eugene Robinson and Leroy Butler, um, and you know even even when Darren Sharper was was back there too. I, I think Savage is poised to to do that. I'll be surprised if he doesn't. He just seems like too good of a player not to make a big jump. So that won't surprise me. But the the young guy, and this is going back two drafts that the Packers really need to take a step forward is Josh Jackson. And Josh Jackson may not even be on the on the team at the end of the of training camp or preseason. He may have just finally played his way out. If, if I'm Goot, you got to give him every chance because you you drafted him in the second round. He's a high pat. He's a high pick, and you've got to hope you can get something from him. So I'm, I hope it's Josh Jackson uh, because again, that'll only fortify the cornerback position. But I think it's I think it's going to be Darnell Savage. If, if we go on the offensive side of the ball in lockstep with Mark, Jay Sternberger, and Jay Sternberger stepping up and being really good when you've got a young tight end, a rookie coming in, and DeGuara would be a huge, huge boost to the offense. And I know Aaron Rodgers already loves Sternberger, so that's going to create a nice little connection there too. One player that I'm excited for, uh, about, and I guess in comparison to like Kiki or Sternberger, those two are likely going to have a larger impact overall. But one guy that I like to make a jump this year and see more snaps because he didn't play much last year is uh, Kadar Holman. You know, he popped last year in the preseason at Toledo. Uh, he had plenty of experience in press man coverage, um, which is a staple of this Mike Petten defense. Petten commented on how well he did in practices last year, and it was against the ones, not just the the JV squad. So. 
that coupled with the, you know, it's year two for him. He had a redshirt season, and that with the kind of the uncertainty that we talked about at the corner position. We know we have um, Kevin King and Jair. It looks like it's Sullivan's job for the inside, but he'll compete with Josh Jackson. Um, but then after that, it's just some unknowns, and I think that uh, if Hallman can continue to progress with his skill set, super athletic, that he's going to get some opportunities this year, and I'm excited to see him. He was, a, um, and I think he was a captain if he, at Toledo, or if not, he was one of the like heart and soul leaders of that defense, mm-hmm. which again is an intangible that I talk about a lot. I think those those things are worth noting. He can run. I mean, there's no, if if nothing else, he should he should be a gunner on special teams next year, right? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, he was only active for, or he was inactive for 14 games last yeah, year, so he was, like he says, a redshirt year. Um, so that was a lot of the defense. I got a couple more points on the offense here, and we'll wrap up. Um, Nathaniel Hackett talked about the importance of the continuity that this team has, especially with everything that's going on right now and not being able to have in-person meetings or the practices or anything like that going right now. And he mentioned how you know difficult it would be if this happened last year, you know, a new coaching staff, a rookie head coach and all that. And the Packers haven't really had much. You know, it's been a slow offseason. There isn't a whole lot of uh, roster turnover, especially on offense. So, Mark, how do you think that that's a big advantage, not an advantage of all, at all, just given the circumstances in the world that we're in right now, that this is pretty much the same intact offensive unit and the same coaching staff heading into year two? Oh, I think it's, I, yeah, it's very huge. I remember the year, I forget what year it was, now, I, guess, I guess it was 2011 when they had the lockout during the, during the um, offseason. Mm-hmm. And if you notice then, I mean, that's the year the Packers, because they were coming off a of Super Bowl, um, they had they had a great regular season because they it was the same guys, same coach, same everything. Yeah, I think teams with I think I said this a couple weeks ago when we were talking. I think I said it here. Um, teams with first year head and I, and I mean like brand new head coaches like the Giants, um, the Browns, they're going to have they're I think they're in, they're in more trouble than they realize um, because of just you know everything being new and new staffs. Um, Dallas, I don't, I won't put Dallas in that category because Mike's been around and that team's kind of a veteran team. He didn't make a lot of changes. He, he, he kept his offense coordinator even. So, but no, I, I think teams with a, with, with the more turnover a team has, I think that's, they're going to, they're going to struggle, especially early and maybe for, you know, and then if you, if you, if you start off one and four, two and five, it's going to be hard to turn that around. So no, I think the Packers, are in real, real good shape that way in terms of not relying on, you know, a new system. Like, if this was a year ago, oh, my God, the Packers would, would have been in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. And are you in the same boat as Mark there, Jason? Is this a big advantage, little advantage, not much at all? No, I think it is. And they made the decision on Petten before all of this stuff went down, but imagine if they had tried to install a new defense and you've got players who are only in Pettin's defense for one year, and now even though you've got you've got studs like Zadarius and Preston Smith who are poised to take a year two, you know, if they can even make a jump, they had a phenomenal year last year, and now they've got to learn another new system in two years. It's it's just not a it's not an ideal scenario. So I think it's it's a help to have those guys, and and then you've got of course a veteran quarterback Devontae Adams. You know those two are going to be in good shape and you've got Aaron Jones like a lot of those guys now have been in the league long enough to know how to study and how to prepare now all of that continuity I think is is very valuable and let me add this too like just from dealing with players for for so long they don't let players unless it's really really needed 
players don't like change. They don't like when, like a defensive player, if if they've been in a 4-3 most of their they don't want to go to a 3-4 or vice versa. If they played in a 3-4 their whole career, they don't like going to a 4-3. I mean, they just, they're, they're creatures of, of habit. And, yeah, they don't, and same with offense. They don't like changing things up. They like doing what they do. So, and they and if they're going to do it, they need time. And like they said, this this off season looks like there's not going to there certainly isn't going to be mini camps and OTAs and all that. And we don't even know if camp's going to start on time. So, um, yeah, I think yeah that's this is this is going to be a real interesting season to see how things play play out. And if they, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? We don't, you know. Hopefully, things are getting better. It looks like more states are opening and and all that. So that that's all a good thing, but. The, the 2020 season is going to be really interesting. No, for sure. Uh, one player who is expected to play a bigger role this year is Jay Sternberger. We touched on him briefly. But Nathaniel Hackett had to say that he needs to become more consistent and uh, had just gained a better understanding of the offensive system. But he also mentioned that he really likes the speed that he brings to this offense. And when Jace was on Locked On Packers, he mentioned that Lafleur wants him to be in the slot are playing out of the slot a lot much more this this coming season. So, Mark, how important do you think Sternberger is going to be to the overall success of this offense this season? Um, you know, the tight end position is going to be featured more, and it's a position that in the recent years the Packers have struggled to find consistent production in. Yeah, I mean, they really haven't had – they've tried. <laughs> but right. since Finley got hurt, I mean, they, you know, they bring in Mar- Martellus Bennett, who was a complete bust. Then um, they go for Jimmy Graham, who – you know, was at the late the, the, the latter end of, of his career, obviously, and wasn't wasn't the player that they hoped he was going to be, or, or that he was, you know, when he was with New Orleans. Um, like I said start, last year's draft. That was the pick that I was the most excited about because I really liked him leading up to the draft. I thought he was the second best tight end in the draft behind the, the kid from from Iowa, and um, I was I was really excited when the Packers got him in the third round. And then, you know, it was just a nightmare season for him. He gets hurt on a cheap shot in a, in a preseason game. Um, that set him back. Then he gets hurt again. And, you know, then he gets – it was it was a waste of year, really, in terms of playing. I mean, he did come back at the end. And I think it was, you know, confidence-wise, it probably meant, meant the world to him to catch a touchdown pass in the, in the playoffs, right? Um, you know, it wasn't – important touchdown, so to speak, but it, still, for him, it was. But I just see a lot of talent there. Like you said, the speed, good hands. Um, again, I mean, it, it, there's only one one ball. The, you know, you got Adams, you got Jones, you got Dylan now that's, that's going to get some, some work. Um, it's going to be that Packer offense could be very interesting. Um, just the personnel packages that they could put, put out there. Andy did a story this, this week on – for a Packer re- report on on all the different, I think he had five or six different packages that that, that they could use at at different times, and that's where Hackett and and Lafleur are are going to earn their earn their their money is creating mismatches depending on the on the defense that they're playing, and, and like you said, you, if you line Sternberger in the slot or and and go to two tight end look, which I think they're they'll do a lot of this year. It's going to make defenses, and, and then you can run out of that. You can throw out of it. Yeah, they're going to they're going to be fun to watch. I, I'm looking forward to this Packer offense this year. I really am. Yeah, that's definitely what they're going for with the the Fleur offense. That versatility, you know, having the same personnel but different formations and lining them up in different uh, 
spots on the field. Last point I wanted to get to, Jason, Devin Funches. Um, Nathaniel Hackett mentioned that he's excited to have him here, but that he has to see where he fits once they get on the practice field. So Funches, he missed just about all of last year with a collarbone injury. Year before in Carolina, he had about 550 yards, four touchdowns. 2017 was his best season, over 800 yards and eight touchdowns. And believe it or not, Devin Funches is now the second most accomplished receiver on this Packers team. So, Jason, uh, where do you see Funches kind of fitting in this year? Is he going to compete with Lazard for that number two role right out the gate, or is he going to kind of have to work his way up and earn that? I think it's going to be important that Funches get on, on develop uh, whatever chemistry he needs to with Aaron Rodgers. But I think he'll do that relatively quickly. And whether or not the number two, number three, four position in the wide receiver rankings really matters. I mean, it's the guy that's open that needs to get the football. So I think I think they'll both – I think Lazard and Funches are both going to have good seasons in this offense. And then just to, to kind of throw a, a comment in there too, I, 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 I hope they do turn Jay Sternberger into a little bit of that Swiss Army knife, move him around. It's, if he's versatile enough to do that, he's obviously going to be a pass-catching tight end. So the offense is going to benefit from – from a lot of things, but I like the fact that they finally brought a veteran receiver in and they did so at a decent value. And this is a, I mean, Funches is a guy that could end up playing himself into more years in green Bay. If he, if he does well enough, I just, I like the fact that they've added some experience to the room. If nothing else, that'll take a little bit of heat off of Devonte Adams, even though it seems like that guy's footwork, he could probably beat a quadruple team if he had to, he's, he's that good. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, we covered a lot today. Do you guys have anything else to add? Did the special teams guys say anything? A uh, big thing that I took away from that was with J.K. Scott because of his, you know, he was he's been inconsistent over his career that he needs to reduce his handle time. And oh. for those unfamiliar with handle time, that would be the time that the ball goes from his hands to his foot. So that'll be a big thing that he'll be uh, working on this offseason training camp. And then Menenga had obviously good things to say about Tyler Irvin as well. Um, you know, he saved this punt return unit last year from a historically bad pace, but also what he can bring to this offense. And we saw a little bit of it, little bit of it last year, line up out wide in the backfield in the slot, jet sweeps. Um, you know, he's going to be a nice gadget player for Lafleur in this offense as well this year. One thing I want to add about Funches, I think I, his, 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 his floor, so, so to speak, would be he's going to be good in the red zone. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, he gives the the Packers struggled at times last year in the red zone. I mean, I look, look at the Eagles game, right? They get they they get to the one yard line or the one yard line, the three yard line twice, and, and come away with no no points. He's a I mean, he's a big target in the red zone. They didn't really they didn't really they had you know I guess Lazard's a big target too, but he's young and inexperienced, especially last year he was. Now he has a year under his belt, but Funches will give him that that big target and and, and a tough matchup if 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 he's going against a you know, a five five eleven corner or something. That's just you know, throw that little that little fade, throw that little lob pass to him. Yeah, and the big thing Funches is going to have to overcome. If we were frustrated last year with Geronimo Allison's drops, uh, Funches has twenty three over the first four years of his career. Um, so hopefully that's something that we see improvement upon moving forward, especially here in Green Bay. Well, the one thing I wanted to add too about J.K. Scott, because how often am I going to get a chance to talk about a punter? Let's be honest here. Is right. going back to Mark's point, players not liking change. You start changing the mechanics of a kicker. It's almost like a, a hitter trying a new batting stance or a new approach at the plate. It could work. 
but there there could be that year of adjustment and a lot of these things are mental. These guys are creatures of habit. So when you've been taking snap after snap since high school all the way through to the pro level for all these years and doing it one way, and you start to change it up, you get into a key situation. Sometimes your brain can take over. You know, I, I wouldn't want to see that backfire. So this is where we're really going to see how mentally strong or tough, I guess, J.K. Scott is because I think he could stand to improve off of, of last season when he was when you're drafted in a, a higher round for a punter or if you're drafted at all uh, there's there's got to be high expectations and and he's you know he could definitely stand to live up a little bit more to where he was taken I think yeah absolutely well said you know the kicker and punter positions are a lot you know if you're a baseball player like a batter like you said Jason or um, the golfers out there I think it's a lot of similar with the technique and the routine and all of that stuff um, but no, that was great. And like I said, we covered a lot of stuff. Um, when we appreciate you listening, if you want to find my work, you can find me on Twitter at Paul underscore Brettel. Um, B, that is B R E T L right over at Dairyland Express as well as Cheesehead TV. Mark Eckel over at Packer Report. Anything good, interesting coming up this follow, this upcoming week? Well, I started a, a series. I started a Thursday. I'm doing the, the greatest Packer by number. So last week, last week was kind of easy. I did, it was one through nine. The greatest Packers to wear each number from one to nine. Um, so I'm going to do that. Every, I'm going to do ten a week for the next whatever many next nine more weeks. Um, it's it's been kind of fun. I, I started it, um, and I, I have no idea what I'm like. I obviously I knew number who number four was going to be, but <laughs> and, and number five. But some of you like, you're like wow, like it's amazing at at how bad some. Not I shouldn't say bad, but how many you know. Like number six, right? Guess who I had to put for a number six? J.K. Scott. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but I said he hasn't, you know, he still has a lot to prove, but he's proven that he's better than Graham Harrell. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was going to guess. <laughs> now, Mark, Now, Mark, I know that since you're on Packing Day and you're also colleagues with Andy Herman over at Packer Report, I, I'd like to think we know who you had in, listed in at number eight. Probably do. Who do you think I had a number eight? <laughs> well, I know who number eight is currently. That's that's my final. Well, no, it wasn't him. It wasn't <laughs> no, eight was uh, Ryan Longwell. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then, of course, Jason Perone on Twitter at Jason Perone, also over at Dairyland Express with myself. Once again, we appreciate you guys listening in, and as always, go pack, go.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.